You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Mark's Gospel tonight, chapter number 5. We'll begin reading in verse number 22. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed. And say this out loud with me, and she shall live. I love verse 24, and Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. Now we'll leave off the narrative in verse 24, and we'll pick it back up again in verse number 35. But between the readings, between the readings, two things I want to point out. While Jesus is on his way to touch that little girl, that's when that woman with that issue of blood pressed through that crowd and touched Jesus and Jesus touched her. There's something about that tonight that I love. You can't get lost in a crowd. It doesn't matter how many people are trying to get to Jesus. You can't get lost in a crowd. Let me tell you what kind of Savior he is tonight. He can save 10,000 at one time and save everybody one at a time. He is a personal Savior. Something else about this I like. There are no boundaries and borders or limits to what God can do. Every time I read this, I'm reminded it is no secret what God can do. So we pick the reading back up now, verse number 35. And while he expects, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead, and why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, say this out loud with me, Be not afraid, only believe. Say that with me again. Be not afraid, only believe. For the sake of time, watch your Bible in verse number 42. Jesus goes into where the little girl is, and Jairus got more than he asked for. Look in verse number 42, and straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with a great astonishment. That little phrase, great astonishment, means they looked at each other and went, wow. Because I'm glad the God we serve tonight is a wow God. He can put a wow on all of our faces because he can do exceeding, abundant, above all that we ask or think. And I believe what we have before us tonight in this text is one of the most beautiful and vivid pictures of intercessory prayer that you'll find in all of the Bible. 
I thank God tonight for the doctrine of intercessory prayer. The prayers that we pray on behalf of others. The old preacher Paul said to the young preacher Timothy, I would that prayers and supplication and giving of thanks and intercession be made for all of the saints. I'm glad tonight for the intercession of the Savior. He's at the right hand of the Father. I'm glad tonight for the intercession of the Spirit. Romans 8 said, The Spirit of God maketh intercessions for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. But I'm thankful tonight for the intercession of the saints. The saints of God that pray one for another. Let me say it like this tonight. If there's somebody in your world that loves you enough to pray for you, then you are a blessed individual. Can I say that again? If there's somebody in your life that loves you enough to pray for you, then you are a blessed individual. In fact, most of us sitting here tonight are the results of somebody praying for us. And aren't you glad the God we serve tonight is a God that we can get a hold of. And God can get a hold of somebody else because we went and got a hold of him. Aren't you glad the God we serve tonight is the alive God? He is the able God. He is the awesome God. He is the accessible God and the available God. He can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. I'm glad we can get a hold of God and God can get a hold of somebody else because we went and got a hold of him. I believe tonight that Abraham got a hold of God for his nephew Lot. I believe tonight that Moses got a hold of God for the nation of Israel. I believe tonight that Paul and Silas got a hold of God for the infant church. And I know this one day, Jesus Christ got a hold of God for all of us. For there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. I believe tonight that nations have been saved and revived because somebody got a hold of God. I believe tonight churches have experienced real revival because somebody got a hold of God. I believe broken families have been mended because somebody got a hold of God. I believe wayward sons and daughters found their way back to home and God because somebody got a hold of God. I believe tonight that drunk daddies got to be sober daddies and mean mamas got to be mean mamas and lost sinners got to be saved and a child of God because somebody got a hold of God. And here in our text tonight, we see a picture of intercessory prayer. A daddy with a daughter that has a need that daddy cannot meet. But daddy goes and he gets Jesus. And Jesus comes back to the house and does for the daddy and the daughter what the daddy cannot do. And I'm preaching tonight on this subject. Somebody, go get God. Somebody go get God. 
Because I believe tonight our nation needs somebody to go get God. I believe the family needs somebody to go and get God. I believe our churches need somebody to go and get God. And I'm glad one day somebody went and got God for me. Let's go get God for somebody else. Three things in our text tonight about this intercessory prayer. Number one, I want you to see the mandate that drove this man to Jesus. The mandate that drove this man to Jesus. You say, now, Brother Joe, why would you use such a strong word as mandate? Well, let me say it like this. What would cause this grown man to go all the way across town, lay aside his political and religious reputation, and bow down at the feet of Jesus and beg him like a little child to come and touch that little girl? What would cause a grown man to do all of that? Well, I told you in the introduction, He is a daddy with a daughter. He is a daddy with a daughter. And if you didn't get that, then you are not a daddy with a daughter. Because a daddy with a daughter is a whooped individual. A daddy with a daughter is the most manipulated man on the face of the earth. Why a daddy with a daughter will do things he said he would never do. He will buy things he said he will never buy. He will go places he said he will never go. All because the daughter looked up at him with that manipulating look she got from her mother. And with that quivering chin and watery eyes, oh dad, oh dad. And here goes dad. I made my brags all over this country how I hated cats. And the best cat was a dead cat. And there would never be any cats at my house. Oh, but one day the daughter looked at me so pitiful with tears running down her face and said, Daddy, can we get a cat? Guess who got a cat? I put my foot down. I said, now that thing is a stinking animal and it's not coming in this house. It's gonna stay outside where God created it to live. And one night, oh, one night, the lightning flashed and the thunder rolled and the wind blew and the rain descended. And she said, oh, dad, Flea Flea is outside in the storm. Can she please come inside? Guess who came inside? Guess who jumped up to bed with me at four o'clock in the morning, that crazy cat. I put my foot down when she got us. And I listen, that thing's an animal. And I'm gonna tell you up front, if it gets sick, it's dead. If anything happens to it, it's going to die because I'm not gonna spend my hard-earned money on a vet on no stinking cat. If it gets sick, it's dead. One Monday morning before I went to the airport, I had to make some visits. And I did not know that during the night, the cat had crawled up in the motor of my car. So when I cranked my car, fur goes everywhere. Man, I go and I raise the hood and there it lays. 
You say, what did you do? I called 911. That's what I did. I grabbed up that cat. Well, what was left of it? Wrapped it up in a blanket, put it in a box, turned on my emergency flashers. Listen, I run over crippled people, handicapped people, blind people. I run four stoplights, pulled into the parking lot of the vet on two wheels, ran in and laid all my credit cards down and said, if that stinking thing's got nine lives, hold about three of them before I get out of here. I did all of that because that little girl has found a lodging place in daddy's heart. Oh, a daddy with a daughter. Here in our text, here's a daddy with a daughter, but they're not having a party. They're not having a sweet 16 party. They're not having a graduation party. According to the text tonight, they're having a death watch because the Bible said she lieth at the point of death. That little expression, a point of death, means her, her next breath may be her last. The next time blood pulsates through her body may be her last. The next time air goes in and out of her lungs may be her last. She is at the point of death. Notice who this daddy is in the text. The Bible says he is Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. That little phrase tells me three things tonight. Number one, he is a man of power. He is a man of authority. He is a man of high position. He is a man that commands other men what to do, and they have to do it. He is a man that has power over other men, and they have to obey his command. He is a ruler over men. But even though he has enough power and authority to command a handful of soldiers guarding the synagogue, he does not have enough power and authority to command the disease to leave the body of that little girl. He has power to be a ruler, but he doesn't have enough power to bring healing to the body of that little girl. For the first time in his life, he realized he was up against something that was mightier than him and bigger than him. For the first time in his life, he realizes he is in over his head. His power, his authority is not enough. But I've come to tell you tonight, when our power is not enough, when our position is not enough, when our authority is not enough, I'm glad standing somewhere in the shadows is a Savior that has all power in heaven and in earth. He's Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. That tells me something tonight. He is a moral man. He is a good religious man. He is not the ruler of a nightclub. He is not the ruler of a dance hall. He is not the ruler of a beer joint. He's not a profaner. He's not a liar. He's not a cheat. He's not a cusser. He's not a fornicator or an adulterer or a thief or a thug. He is a good, religious, moral man. He's the ruler of the synagogue. You know what Jarius realizes in this text? That being moral and being religious does not isolate nor insulate any of us from the storms and the troubles and the tragedies of life. 
Jairus realizes in this text that bad things, hurtful things, unexplainable things happen to good, moral, religious people. Someone said to me one time, we're pastor. If going to church and being clean and, and being moral doesn't exempt us, and if knowing God doesn't exempt us from the storms of life, then why do you want to know the Lord and be a Christian? I said, I'll tell you why. Being saved and being right with God gives you a refuge and a hiding place and a shoulder to lean on until the storm does pass by. His power's not enough. His authority's not enough. His morals, his religion, his goodness is not enough. No matter how clean he lives, that will not bring the health and the healing to this little girl. I see something else in the text. Evidently, he has a piece of land. On that piece of land is a house. In that house is a wife, and in that house is a daughter. That tells me he is a man of means. He is a man of possessions. He is a man of money. How many would agree it takes money to have some land? You put a house on that land, it takes money. And I'm telling you tonight, if you put a wife plus a daughter in that house, somebody better have a job, a good one. You young Casanovas here tonight, the greatest way to get your girlfriend's mother and father to like you, get a job. Can I get a witness in the church house? Here's a man that's got enough money to buy land. Here's a man that's got enough money to buy a home. Here's a man that's got enough money to have a wife and a family, but he does not have enough money. He does not have enough wealth to buy the healing of that little girl. He can't buy her one well second. He can't buy her another moment in life. Here is a man that is up against it. Here is one of the most desperate pictures of utter desperation you'll find in all of the Bible. Here is a man whose money's not enough. His goodness is not enough. His religion is not enough. His position is not enough. His political appointment is not enough. His power, his authority is not enough. Here's a man that's, it's over his head. It's beyond his pocket and it's out of his hands. He cannot merit what she needs. He cannot earn what she needs. He cannot buy what she needs. He cannot manufacture and command what she needs. He is desperate. He seems to be hopeless. His money's no good. His morals are not good enough. And his power's not good enough. But as Paul Harvey says, page two, here's the rest of the story. Even though his money was not enough, and even though his power was not enough, and even though his goodness was not enough, he heard about another daddy, and he heard about another father whose power is greater than his, whose holiness is greater than his, whose wealth and money is greater than his. And I want to tell you tonight, when it's over your hand and beyond your pocket and out of your hand, standing somewhere in the shadows is a faithful Savior who's got the power, who's got the goodness, who's got the money, and not just enough, but more than enough. Desperation drove him to Jesus. I love that about Jairus. This desperate situation 
did not drive him away from God. It drove him to God. It did not, it did not make him bitter and rebellious, but it made him tender. It brought him to a place of desperation. You say, Brother Joe, I've never begged God for anything. Don't say that because you may be in a place where your power is not enough and your morals is not enough and your money is not enough, but I'm glad when it's too much for you. Nothing is too big for our God. The mandate that drove this man to Jesus. Number two in the text, I want you to see the mission that directed this man to Jesus. He is a man on a mission. Jarius can do one or two things. Brother Cooper, he can stand there and watch the life slowly fade from that little girl. Or he can swallow his pride, admit he's whooped, and go and get somebody that can do what he cannot do. That's what I love about Jarius. Do you realize how much faith and courage it took for him to look at that little girl and her mother and say, Daddy can't handle this one. Daddy can't fix this one. This is bigger than me. This is bigger than daddy. My power's not enough. My position is not enough. My possessions, my help is not enough. Who I am is not enough. I am whooped. And if you don't think that's hard to do, then you're not a real man because a real man likes to fix it. A real man likes to say, big daddy's got this one. But the greatest day in our life is when we realize we can't, but he can. He's a man on a mission. I see him as he leans over the bed. I see him as he kisses her fevered brow. I see this daddy as he turns his back on that situation and walks in the opposite direction. What courage, what faith that took. I see Jarius as he goes up that house. I see Jarius as he walks down the little cobblestone sidewalk. I see as somebody approaches him and says, Jarius, Jarius, where are you going? I hear him say, I'm going for God. I'm going for deity. I'm going for sovereignty. I'm going for victory. I'm going for omnipotence. I'm going for deliverance. Jarius, Jarius, are you going for the doctor? No, I'm going for the great physician. Jarius, are you going for the lawyer? No, I'm going for the lawgiver. Jarius, are you going for the priest? No, I'm going for the great high priest. Jarius, are you going for the prophet? No, I'm going for the message of the prophet. He will not be denied. He will not be detoured. He is on a mission. I hear somebody say, but Jarius, how long is it gonna take you? And I hear him say, for my baby girl, not too long. But, but, but Jarius, how far have you got to go? And I hear him say, for my little girl, not too far. But Jarius, what all have you got to go through till you get to him? And I hear him say, for my little girl, not too much. 
And can I just stop and say tonight, for God to save the next generation and for God to save America and for God to revive our land and for God to revive our churches, it is not too far, it is not too long, it is not too much to see God set out on the next generation and raise up another generation of champions for Christ. It is not too far, it is not too long, it is not too much. Whatever it takes to get God on the scene, it is not too much. Let me tell you what I love about Jairus. He knew who to go to and he knew how to talk to him when he got there. Because the Bible said in the text, and when he saw him, when he came to where Jesus was, he fell at his feet. You say, well, what's so good about that? Well, back in John 11, when Jesus comes to Bethany, Martha gets up in his face and said, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But Mary comes out and falls at his feet and says the same thing, but she says it in a broken spirit. If you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You say, Brother Joe, what's the difference between getting in God's face and bowing at his feet whether he goes home with you or not? He falls at his feet. And notice this expression. I love the King James. It says, and besought him greatly. That little word besought means to plead, to employ, to beg. It means to beseech, to beg, to employ. It literally means to pull on one's heartstrings till you get a reaction. That's the word the apostle Paul uses when he's calling you and I to live a holy, dedicated life in the light of the mercies and the grace and the goodness of God. I beseech you, I employ you, I beg you therefore, brethren, because Paul knows if the Holy Spirit pulls on our heart, we'll give him all we got. Here's Jairus. He's going for the heart of heaven. He's going for the heartbeat of heaven. He falls down at the feet of Jesus Christ. He pulls on his heartstrings and said, please, I beg, I employ, I beg, I plead, please. And brother, when I read this, I like to knock the back end of my choir robe out. He fell at his feet and besought him greatly. Watch this in the text and said, Lord, if you will come. Underline that little phrase. If you will come. He said, when I left my house, it was full of people. You read the text, there were so many there when Jesus got there, he had to run most of them out of the room. There were plenty of people there. But nobody could help. But he said, Lord, if you will come, you are the one that I'm after. You are the one that I'm pleading for. You are the one that I want to come. And he made this statement. If you will come and lay your hands upon her, there was something about the hands of Jesus that had birthed and ignited faith in this daddy's heart. He didn't say, come speak to her. He didn't say, come look at her. He said, come and lay your hands upon her. 
What about the hands of Jesus that could have ignited such faith? Well, he's the ruler of the synagogue. He has heard the Old Testament read in his hearing for many, many, many occasions. And all you got to do is go home tonight and start in Genesis and go to Malachi and you'll read about the many times where God rolled up his sleeves and stuck out his mighty hand. He had read about the creating hand of God and the blessing hand of God and the providing hand of God and the guiding hand of God and the victorious hand of God. And you got to understand for the last three and a half years, this daddy has said in Jerusalem, and watch this man Jesus with his hands. Raise it up and calm a storm. Take those hands and touch a blind man and make him see. And take those hands and touch a deaf man and make him hear. And take those hands and touch a dumb man and make him speak. And take those hands and touch a crippled man and make him walk. Even touch the casket of a little dead boy. And he raises up and eats supper with his mama. He knew the power of those hands. He knew the omnipotence of those hands. And he just said something like this. While if those hands can make the blind to see and the lame to walk and the dumb to talk and the leper be cleansed, what of the thirsty feed the hungry, comfort the lonely, save the sinner, befriend the friendless. It's in his hands. It's in his hands. Oh, God, take. Lord, I feel like preaching tonight. Lord, take those mighty, wonderful hands. Lord, put your hand on this situation. Literally, literally, literally what you have in this text is a transition. Watch this. For 12 years, she's been in daddy's hands. For 12 years, he's led her with his hands. For 12 years, he's provided her needs with his hands. For 12 years, he has consoled her with his hands. But tonight, he realizes my hands are not big enough. My hands are not powerful enough. So what you literally have in this text is the daddy. He takes her out of his hands and he puts her in the Savior's hand. He literally takes her out of his hand and puts her in the Savior's hands. And can I say this tonight? The greatest day in your life and the greatest day in the life of somebody you're praying for is when you take them out of your hands and you put them in the Savior's hands. And aren't you glad it's good to know tonight it's in the Savior's hands. It's in the Savior's hands. Revival, the salvation of sinners, my children, my life, my future. I'm glad it's in the Savior's hands tonight. And if you will come and lay your hands on her, she's going to be all right. And I love verse number 24. He got what he went for, and he got more than he asked for. Because the Bible said, and Jesus went with him. And Jesus went with him. This daddy's faith, this daddy's spirit, this daddy's intercession 
literally moved the heart of heaven and the heartbeat of God and there's somebody in your family, there's somebody in your life, America tonight, revival tonight. I believe we can move the heart of God if we'll swallow our pride and go get the Lord and tell him how much we need him tonight. The mandate that drove him to Jesus. The mission that directed him to Jesus. And then lastly, I want you to see the miracle that delighted this man in Jesus. He got what he went for. And he got more than he asked for. Can you imagine how Jarius felt when Jesus said, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. I don't believe he went, wow, man, that's cool. I don't believe he said, well, what do you know? I got the Lord. I believe he's pumped up about it. I believe it's off the charts. I believe he's excited. I believe he's like, well, glory. Hold on, baby. Daddy and Jesus is a coming. Hold on, baby. Daddy and Jesus is a coming. He's a man on a mission, brother. He's glad he's got him. He's excited he's got him. He knows that help is on the way. And while he's on his way with Jesus to touch that little girl, that's when that crowd gathers around him. And now they can't go anywhere. And I'm telling you, Jairus is a better man than me because I'd have took me a stick and I'd have busted some heads. I said, get out of my way. I got him first. Get out of my way. My daughter's dying. But by this point, he's got so much faith, he can wait. By this time, he's got so much faith, he can watch God work in other people's lives and not his at this particular moment and not get bitter or jealous. Because he knows his turn is a coming. And so Jairus is just waiting it out. But here comes that woman with that issue of blood. And she touches Jesus and she is immediately transformed and healed. And the Bible said Jesus knowing that virtue, power, authority, dynamite had come out of him. He turned to that crowd and said, who touched me? Just let me give you some information. If an all-knowing God asks you a question, he's not hunting information. You say, well, if God knows everything, then why does he ask questions? He's given you an opportunity to get honest and real. Who touched me? That little woman raised her hand and she said, it was me. And sir, can I tell you why? Now, Jairus is just standing and watching Jesus. Ain't it just like a woman to interrupt our plans? And so Jairus is just standing there watching Jesus and this woman engaged in this conversation and she said, the reason why I touched you is because I've had an infirmity for 12 years. She said, I have been sick for 12 years. Brother, when that woman said 12, I believe Jairus went, whoa. 12? Did she just say 12? Did she just say she had been sick for 12 years? Wow. That's how old my little girl just happens to be. 12. 
And you know what? If he can heal somebody that's been sick for 12, he can heal somebody that's been alive for 12. Evidently, 12 is no big deal. I've come to tell the church tonight, 12 is no big deal, 12,000 is no big deal, 12 million is no big deal, and 12 infinity is no big deal. There's no boundaries and borders and limits to what the Lord can do if somebody, oh, go get him. And then Jesus looks at that woman, and if I counted it right, he says something to that woman, he only says two other times in the King James Bible. Jesus looked at that woman and said, daughter, he called her daughter. He called her daughter. And I believe when Jairus heard Jesus call that woman daughter, he went, oh wow, he's got one too. I've come to tell him about my daughter and come to find out He's got a daughter too. He knows how I feel. He knows what I'm going through. He knows exactly how I feel right now. And if he loves his daughter, surely he loves mine. If he can help his daughter, surely he can help mine. He found out he's in the daughter business. And I've come to tell you, he's in the daughter business and the son business and the mama business and the daddy business. He is in the meat-needing, people-saving business. Somebody's just got to go get God. Several years ago, I was coming home from church and my phone rang. And it was the preacher that I was supposed to preach for on Monday night. He said, Brother Joe, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart a while ago and said, you need to stay home tomorrow. Just wait and come Tuesday. I'm not counseling the meeting, but you just come come Tuesday. I said, brother, it costs to get iron. He said, don't worry about it. We got money. The Holy Spirit wants you at home tomorrow night. Well, don't threaten me with a day off. I'll take you up on it. And so, man, I went in there and told my wife, I said, I'm off tomorrow. And that great woman of faith went, oh, Lord, something bad's going to happen sure in the world every time you're home when you ain't supposed to be home. Amen. But we had a wonderful day. Went out to eat, picked the kids up from school, and I got to put them to bed that night, tuck them in. And I did that on Saturday night and Sunday night, but this, I got to do this on Monday night. And Monday night, tucked old Joseph, old Bubba, redneck, put him into bed, he starts crying. Now, when you get a redneck to cry, that means one of three things. His girlfriend broke up with him, somebody stole his gun, or his truck won't start. And if he's old, not old enough to have a truck, his dog got run over. And I said, son, what are you crying for? He had heard Tom Farrell preach on the Friday before that. He said, dad, I need a Bible reason to know that I'm saved. I said, son, are you under conviction? Yes, sir. I said, do you want to be saved? He said, yes, sir. I said, when? He said, right now. I said, well, get in there and call on God, son. You know as much about it as I do. And old Bubba, call on the Lord and God save my son. Excuse me. Whoa! God save my boy. Two years later, I was preaching in Yakinville, North Carolina. That's about 30 miles north of Brother Bobby Robertson. After church that night, me and some of my buddies went down to eat at the Burger King. You say, why did you go to McDonald's? Well, why eat with the clown when you eat with the king? (laughs) 
we just got sued. <laughs> 10 o'clock, my phone rings, Miss Arthur. She said, we got troubles. And when she says that, wow. She's a strong woman. She's done a lot of great things. And when she says we got trouble, it's usually bad. I said, what? She said, your daughter. Now, have you ever noticed this, guys? When your kids are getting on a roll, when they're making the principal's list in a good way, and, and, and winning scholarships, it's our children. But you wait till they have a problem, and they will say to you, your children. They do have our blood. Your daughter is walking the floor. She's crying. She's afraid she goes to bed and goes to sleep. She'll go to hell. I said, well, Lord, we got a youth pastor. We got people in the church. I said this to her, and I didn't realize it at the time how it said. I said, you claim to be a Christian leader to God. She said, I would love to, but she won't talk to nobody but her daddy. Well, do you think I said, well, it's Monday night, honey. I've got to preach to, no. I said to one of my buddies, I said, how long has it been since you've been to Atlanta? He said, been a while. I said, hop in the car. Drove five hours straight home. Got there about 4.30 in the morning. She's waiting up on me. It didn't take long. It didn't take long. You see, it ain't hard to be saved. The people that make it hard to be saved is preachers who muddy up the gospel. Swallowing your pride and realizing you need to be saved is the hard part. But once you get that done, it ain't hard to be saved. I'm glad God saves old sinners. Hallelujah. She called on the Lord, and God saved my baby girl. Amen. Ate a little breakfast. Well, actually went to Burger King and ate a croissant and went on back up the road. And that road out of Atlanta, Georgia, Interstate 85 to South Carolina to North Carolina that I travel about 30-some weeks a year is a long road. And many, many, many times that old devil's rode up there with me. Go on, flaming evangelist. Go ahead, Mr. Camp Meeting. Go on to another church. Go help another family. Go help another pastor. Go help everybody that's raised their kids. And, and while you're gone, I, I'll take care of yours. I'll send yours to hell. I'll make sinners out of yours. And I'll, I'll pillage and ruin their life. Go on, Mr. Big Preacher. Help somebody else. And I'll take care. But I noticed that day on the ride up, the devil was nowhere to be found. So I thought I'd call him. And I said, hey, Devil, you done lied again. You say, why did you say that? Because my family's not special. We're just a bunch of old sinners that ought to be lost in hell tonight with a back broke. But if God can save my son, he can save your son. If God can save my little girl, he can save your little girl. If God can rescue my family, he can rescue your family. God can save anybody. God can do anything. There's nothing too hard for God. We just got to go get him and see what God. Jesus walked in that house, took that little girl by the hand, lifted her up and said, damsel, arise. And she got up and walked. And I'm telling you, they were independent Baptists for sure. Because the next thing they did, the Bible said, and they gave her something to eat. Every time God does something great, we eat about it. And by the way, when an old sinner is saved, it's celebrating time. 
when a church has revival, it's celebrating time. When God answers prayer and meets the need, it's something to celebrate. And look how different the scene was to what it could have been. Before daddy left, they were gonna hang a reef on that door and there would be a long possession to the graveyard. But daddy went and got Jesus. And tonight they're not having a wake, they're having a celebration. Oh, what a difference it makes when Jesus comes. Go get him tonight. Our power is not enough, our authority is not enough, our position is not enough. But God can do anything. Let me ask you this tonight in the closing moments of this service. Is there somebody in your life? Is there somebody in your family? Is there somebody in your world that you love enough to go get God for? Do you love them enough to go get God for? A friend of mine put it like this. Somebody go get God. Somebody go get God. Tell him you're thirsty. Tell him you need him. Will somebody go and get God? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.